Hello listeners, I am Mzinga Curry, AUSA's Director of Education and Programs, and this is the Army Real Talk segment of AUSA's Army Matters podcast series. I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Lieutenant Colonel Brittany Lloyd, an AUSA Army Fellow. Each year or so, we like to look at the other side of the Army, and this is where we can showcase career opportunities as well as specialties that are a bit unique within the Army. Mrs. Curry, this is a super exciting episode for me. Today we highlight two of my favorite things, the power of music and jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. Today our special guests are Sergeant Major Denver Dill from the West Point Music Research Center and Sergeant First Class David Flynn with the U.S. Army Parachute Team. Excellent, excellent. My father used to joke and say, why do people jump out of perfectly good planes? So I'm ready to start this conversation as well as just learn about these different specialties. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today, and I would love to hear a little bit about you as well as your career. Sergeant Major, let's start with you. Will you please share a little bit about yourself? Sure, and thank you very much for having me on Army Real Talk. I came to West Point at roughly 17, almost 18 years ago, and I was hired as a trumpet player in the West Point Band. Now, the West Point Band is one of four special bands, which means that we're permanently assigned. We go through basic training, and then we go to these stations where we're permanently assigned, and we are promoted quickly to the rank of staff sergeant. Over time, I became the Army Music Analytics team leader. And what that team does is we provide measures of effectiveness about Army bands to senior Army and Department of Defense leaders. Additionally, because I work at the nation's premier leadership development institution, which is West Point, I have taught or assisted in several different West Point academic departments. Some of those are the Department of Systems Engineering, History Department, the Department of English and Philosophy, Department of Mathematics, and most recently I've been brought into the Department of Social Sciences to teach a course that I designed called SS-493 Music and Influence. This course is going to explore the use of music as a tool of influence in a myriad of ways, including music and politics, music and the projection of national identity, and how music wields cultural influence. Since becoming a co-founder of the West Point Music Research Center in 2018, I spend a good amount of my time researching the impacts of music on various populations. Very complex. I wouldn't have expected such, so I'm so glad we're going to have a conversation today. Thank you. Sergeant First Class Flynn, will you share a little bit about yourself and your career, please? Sure. My name is Sergeant First Class David Flynn, and I serve on the Golden Knights competition team as a competition parachutist. I compete in several different disciplines, including four, eight, 10, and 16-way formation skydiving. I enlisted in 2006 and attended basic and then advanced individual training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma as a 13 Bravo Cannon crew member. I then went on to airborne school at Fort Benning, and that's where my love of jumping out of airplanes was born. I served in the 82nd Airborne Division for six years in various artillery units and have served two tours in Afghanistan. In 2012, I applied for the assessment and selection program of the United States Army Parachute Team and was selected to become a demonstration parachutist. Two years after being selected, I was offered a tryout for the comp team and was thrilled when I was once again selected for that prestigious position. Since joining the competition team, my team and I have earned more than 13 national medals, two world championships, and have set two world records. Very, very impressive. Thank you both for sharing. 
So my love for music stems for I started playing the clarinet in middle school and continued through college. I was in the James Madison Marching Royal Dukes for three years of my college career, and so that was a lot of fun. And then I did spend close to 10 years at Fort Bragg, jumping out of airplanes and hitting the ground like a sack of rocks. So I would imagine your landings are a bit more graceful than mine were, aren't. So I'm excited to have you both. Sarah Major, your current position as a social science instructor at West Point seems unusual, so I bet very fascinating. And you told us a little bit about it, but can you explain further and kind of how it relates back to music? Ma'am, it'd be my pleasure. So over the course of many years, the need to understand the various effects of music has kind of been my daily diet of research, study, and education. So yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. I have one of the coolest jobs in the Army, and I never take that for granted. It's a super cool job. A number of years back, we identified a gap between the ability to be a high-performing professional military musician and the ability to understand and articulate the effect that these performances were having worldwide. At that time, I was injured and looking for ways to contribute, and I had a commander and other senior leaders that encouraged me to pursue some areas of interest that could help the Army, and that started my relationship with our Department of Systems Engineering. We would look at processes that West Point had or the Defense Logistics Agency is another example, and we would apply the systems decision process to these different processes and areas, looking for ways to help these agencies improve and be good stewards of the resources provided to them. So it's a natural next step then to apply the same type of rigor to Army bands itself and to music in general. This is around a time when there was a Government Accountability Office, GAO, inquiry into military bands, and at the same time, there was a bottom-up review of all Army bands signed by General Perkins. So the analytics team that I run helped, and we had plenty of work (laughs) at that time. Oftentimes, I'll find myself framing analysis several different ways, from process efficiencies to leader development, personal and group optimization, self-regulation, inspiration, and a host of other frames. To help move analysis from anecdotal into something more measurable, I often use things like math modeling or probability and statistics or mathematical game theory. It isn't uncommon at all for me to be discussing socioeconomic effects of music in one sentence and neuroscience in the next. So more to your specific question about becoming a social instructor. Well, as a performer, I would always constantly see the connection between the arts and the emotions of the audience. I would perform taps hundreds of times over the years and end up having countless family members come up to me after a funeral and express how much it meant to have that experience and hearing that final acknowledgement of the service of their loved one. And they would come up to me in droves over the years and tears in their eyes and I just can't thank you enough would be the common phrase. Well, in the social department, I'll be teaching these future officers how to yield to that type of influence using sound while keeping in mind the need for cultural humility. I can't say enough great things about the social department here at West Point. They are extremely influential, and they're just a wonderful team, and I'm, again, humbled to be working with them. They are some of the brightest minds in the Army, providing vital analysis throughout the Army to some of the Army's toughest and most critical problems, and I'm really excited to continue to help developing these future leaders. That's amazing. And like you said, I never imagined hearing about math, neuroscience, and music all in the same sentence. So I think my mind has officially been blown. So thank you for that, Sergeant Major. You helped establish the West Point Music Research Center in 2018 and, you know, really focusing on how music influences daily life, not only for the cadets, but for soldiers in the community. What are some of the initiatives your team's working on currently? So currently we're transitioning out one of our primary researchers, Chief Warrant Officer 2, Jonathan Crane. He's about to become the next commander of 25th ID Band in Hawaii. 
he'll be missed, but he's going to stay connected, and he has some projects that he's going to try to keep continuing while being in command, but we all know that's going to be a challenge. His replacement, CW3 TJ Jackson, is already here, and we're looking forward to getting him spin up with the Research Center, but he is already coming to us from Disney. And I know that that might seem like a foreign idea to Army audiences, but when you think of Disney as a giant conglomerate and all of the things that they have oversight, he's really bringing a wealth of usable information. So that's one of the things that I'm really excited about. A couple more notable projects might be that I'm finalizing a couple of publications surrounding the music of the 2021 presidential inauguration. I'm also working on some that have to do with the sounds of extremism. And then I have some more continued work on quantifying a music's impact on individual and group identity. Recently, I joined a research team that feeds CENTCOM and DEVCOM, and a project that we're working on is called Art Plus Science for Geospatial Innovation Research Program. Now, that's a lot of big words that I didn't put together, somebody else did. But what we're doing is we're looking at the city of Newburgh, New York, which is very close here to West Point, and we're trying to see if it can serve as a proxy for other cities where cultural impacts and challenges need to be captured and preserved and articulated. That's a very near and dear to my heart because I love going into Newburgh and I see these old buildings. It's a majestic city that kind of hit a hard patch in the 20th century and is now starting to revitalize. So the timing is wonderful. Another area of interest to your audiences might be that we are frequently collaborating with the psychological operations community, teasing out nuance in our adversaries' propaganda. Very fascinating. I would like to learn a little bit more about what you continue to do, for example, teaching music in the context of national identity. Could you share a couple of examples of that? For me, I default to two major events where I feel like America, the United States, really flexes its musical national identity. And those two events happen to be the Super Bowl and the presidential inaugurations. And when I go and I look at the sounds of those events, I'm constantly fascinated by the use of music. Who's going to be singing the anthem is always a big deal. I remember back when Lady Gaga did the Super Bowl, it was the most tweeted about moment other than, I think it was the Broncos had won. That was the most tweeted about thing. So we know that the American public and other publics are all watching, right? It's really well known that that's when the advertising spend is the highest it's going to be for any event that year. And what do we do? We showcase music. And I often think about even the military music part specifically. There is always a joint service guard down front with all of the flags. And you see two drummers on both sides. They're playing that cadence, but they're representing our national heritage all the way back to the American Revolution. This will tie in Sergeant Flynn. What also happens at that event? They got to jump, right? There's always a flyover. They don't always jump in, but there's always a flyover because we're projecting our military might. America is willing to travel the ends of the earth and into outer space to make sure we take care of its citizens and those who might need our assistance. Absolutely. And I'm so glad we are doing this podcast because a lot of times something so important such as music may be overlooked. And so it's really important for us to remind folks of how music touched our lives and how, as you stated, when you play taps, how it really can kind of bring comfort to folks. So I appreciate all that you have shared. Thank you, Sergeant Major. I'm going to move on to Sergeant First Class, Flynn. So you have shared that you are very much an accomplished member of the Golden Knights, the Army's premier parachute team. And I must state that in 20, let's see, 2005, 2006 was the first time I had an opportunity to see the Golden Knights 
It was at the Armington Mallor, and I was just so excited, and it was really cool. You definitely have a thrilling profession. You definitely encouraged me to try it once. I did jump out of plane once. So I want to hear a little bit more from you about your thrilling profession, and I want you to explain to us the rigorous requirements and training needed to be selected for such an elite team. Sure. That's awesome, by the way. I'm glad you were inspired by the Golden Knights. That is our job. We try to do that. That's our whole purpose. But in order to be selected for the Golden Knights, you need to be an active duty army. You need to have a clean civilian and military record and have a minimum of 100 free fall jumps at the time of selection. Soldiers will be selected for their parachuting skills, ability to learn and perform under pressure, and for their ability to work as part of a high-performance team. We actually have our current demonstration team members run the assessment and selection, and they're directly selecting their new team. So it's a little bit of an inside look for the demonstration teams. Our team is required to be the best as we represent the world's premier fighting force to the American public and the rest of the world. Assessment and selection for the Gold Knights competition team consists of several days of testing in both the wind tunnel and the sky. Comp team members will take the time to fly with you during formation skydiving jumps and determine if they think you have what it takes. Once on the competition team, you'll need to be in sound physical shape as you'll be training hard every day to become the best in the world. We complete anywhere from 8 to 14 free fall jumps in a day, and we record all of our jumps, and we spend hours debriefing the footage frame by frame to see how we can become faster and more efficient. Wow, that's a lot of jumping in one day. But like I said, it's obviously your job and probably very exciting. And as I mentioned, I'm sure your landings are a lot more graceful than mine were. Yeah, uh, they're a little bit more graceful than those static line jumps. I did yeah, six <laughs> years in the 82nd Airborne Division. and You know, we jump different parachutes. The 82nd and other airborne units around the world jump round parachutes. And we jump ram air parachutes that are square, if you will. And we come down at a forward glide, so we just kind of walk out the landings versus a straight-down approach that the static line jumpers have. I have just about 6,000 jumps at this point now, and I don't think I would have been able to keep doing it if it was on around parachutes for 6,000 jumps. No, I don't think any human body could have sustained that many static line <laughs> jumps. You are correct. So you've mentioned the competition team, and you're on the competition team, and have competed not only in the United States in many national events, but around the world. It's impressive. And you mentioned breaking some records. Can you tell us about some of those events and what it's like to represent the United States Army as you accomplish all these milestones? The Golden Knights' mission statement is to compete and win in national and international parachuting competitions, and that's our core. Every year, the United States Parachuting Association hosts the U.S. Nationals, and every two years, there's a World Championships. In order to qualify for the World Meet, you must first win Nationals and be selected as part of Team USA. Whenever the team and I are selected to represent the United States on the world stage, we take that responsibility seriously. In order for us to accomplish our mission, it takes the whole team from the headquarters, command team, and aviation section, and it's really a team effort. We owe it to the Army and America to represent the strength, discipline, and teamwork of all the soldiers here in the United States and those fighting abroad. Nothing feels better to stand up on top of the podium after years of hard work and hear our national anthem be played. One of the most memorable competition jumps that I've been on was round 10. It was the last round of a competition in 2018 in Australia. 
we got an awesome location. It was right on the Gold Coast of Australia. You could see what we thought were whales from the airplane window. And it was hard to stay focused as we were getting ready to exit the aircraft. And we ended up clinching the win for the 2018 World Championships against Russia, who was fighting us for second place. And we ended up tying our existing world record of 33 points in 50 seconds, or points is formations built. So we built 33 formations in 50 seconds, and that was my first time winning a gold medal on the world stage flying the formations. Two years earlier, I had won a world championship flying video. We have a videographer that flies over us and records the evidence of the jump and turns in the footage to the judges for scoring. And I remember that was being the most memorable jump I've ever been a part of. I just have to say that is so fascinating. Sounds so incredible. So cool. So both specialties definitely continue to put a spotlight on what we call, again, the other side of the Army. And I'm so excited to be doing this podcast because folks need to just hear what the different opportunities and specialties are within the Army. We're coming to an end, but I want to know first, are there any final thoughts that either one would like to share? Start with Sergeant Major first. I thought possibly your audiences would be interested in hearing about the origins of the Jody call. I guess I always thought it was called cadence calling, right? When you're basic training and here we go again, right? Well, the origin of that actually comes back. We called a Jody call. And the first documented Jody call took place in Fort Slocum, New York, May of 1944. And I'm going to couch this in a short story of two individuals, Colonel Bernard Lentz, who is a West Point class of 1905 grad, and Private Willie Duckworth, who was stationed at the Provisional Training Center at Fort Slocum, which is in New Rochelle, New York, pretty close to here at West Point. So I'll be brief, but what happened was Colonel Lentz was going through the fort and Private Duckworth was leading what, it didn't have a term at the time, but it was leading a Jody call. And what Colonel Lentz observed was that these men coming back from a bivouac had a little more pep in their step. And he was fascinated by this. And so this colonel who, you know, again, a colonel and a private, that's just not a world that should come together very often. Private Duckworth, this is 1940s, his black and Colonel Lentz is white. And so we're working on an integrated army at that point. Well, this colonel orders him over and has a talk with him. He asks Private Duckworth, hey, what's going on here? And Private Duckworth said, well, this is how I communicated with the hogs back where I'm from, you know, in the past time. Its origins are that, like a field holler and work song. And Well, Colonel Lentz, I mean, I know it's shocking, but we had an officer who absolutely did the right thing here. He went ahead and he copyrighted Duckworth's chants. And then he had them released on those V-Day recordings, those records went out at the time. And because he did that, Private Duckworth made money for the rest of his life. So this colonel really created an opportunity and rewarded this musicianship, right? Because he's singing and yelling in minor thirds. You know, you might be surprised to find a minor third is the same interval that you use to make fun of each other on the playground. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo, right? That's how I went through basic training was hearing somebody yelling nanny, boo, boo at me the whole time. So another part of that relating to national identity is that of black culture. This comes from Joey was an origin of Joe DeGrinder. And Joe DeGrinder was the guy who might get your girl while you're out working in the fields. And so Joe DeGrinder is the origin of both the Jody call and the sexual use of the term grinding. And I thought your audience might find that interesting. Very interesting indeed. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Sergeant First Class, do you have any final remarks for our listeners? 
I just wanted to go over some of the talking points for anyone that wanted to be joining the Army that might be listening to the podcast. The Army has more than 150 different career options and 50-plus healthcare specialties, ranging from infantry to intelligence, radiology, even cardiac surgery. Soldiers can earn degrees for free while serving with up to 4,000 in tuition assistance each year for college courses and certifications. And I actually earned two college degrees by using this tuition assistance, and I highly recommend it. And you can still transfer your GI Bill to your spouse or dependents after using that benefit. Soldiers have many different reasons for serving, from education to adventure and career advancement to finding a sense of purpose and belonging. The Army offers the new generation the ability to be a part of something bigger than themselves while also improving who they will become individually. Perfect. Thank you so much. I'm glad you went over those. I've shared with my audience before that my husband served in the Air Force, forgive him, prior to us getting married. But right before we got married, you know, you do the basic credit report and pull the information. And he graduated from college and I graduated from college and he benefited from the GI Bill and I did not. I brought in the marriage student loans. So definitely uh, there are benefits. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So good, good points. I'm so excited for both of you sharing. People sometimes have to look beyond what they see on television so they can have a full understanding of the different opportunities and the unique specialty career path. So I thank you both for joining us. But we're not going to end just yet. I have to say a special and warm thanks to Lieutenant Colonel Brittany Lloyd. This is her last podcast with AUSA in the role of an Army fellow. And Brittany, I am so going to miss you. You have been an awesome co-host to Army Real Talk. You have been a huge contributor to AUSA. And I, along with AUSA, is going to miss you. So I want to give you a couple seconds to share a little bit if you want to have some final remarks. I know it's impromptu, but I'm really excited about what we have done throughout the year and just how much you continue to do for AUSA as well as the United States Army. Lieutenant Colonel Lloyd. Thank you. It was obviously my pleasure and definitely an honor to work with AUSA and the team. It's kind of funny because when I was taking over from my predecessor, Eugene, he was like, yeah, so you do a podcast. I was like, wait, what? And then I just told the gentleman who's replacing me that he gets to do a podcast and he had the exact same reaction. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. Um, But this has been the most fun and the most exciting thing I've done in a really long time. And no matter what job you have or what duty position you're in, the Army never fails to amaze you and give you opportunities to do things outside of your comfort zone or things that you never in a million years imagined you would. So I especially thank AUSA for not only hosting an Army fellow, which gives us an opportunity to learn about civilian life and civilian organizations and then to help facilitate the biggest support of the United States Army that's out there, hands down. So thank you both for helping me out this year. It's been a lot of fun, and I definitely look forward to some potential future in-person events where I might actually get to meet the whole team in person. We're going to have to bring you back as a guest to our podcast in the future. So thank you, and thank you for your continued service. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters Podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters Podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. 
Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the Total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army Day. Cool.